Sometimes you read the news, and the story sticks with you forever. One such news story I saw was some security news I heard, and I'll always remember it. It was when I first saw a presentation about the NSA ANT catalog. Have you seen this? It's mind-bending. Okay, here's what happened. Someone with access to NSA documents took the ANT catalog and gave it to journalists at Der Spiegel, and then they published it. At first, we thought it was Snowden who leaked these documents, but we're not sure if it was him or a second leaker. I asked Snowden on Twitter if it was him, but he didn't respond. So what's NSA's ANT catalog? ANT stands for Advanced Network Technology. And in this catalog are a list of hacks, exploits, and cyber surveillance devices that the NSA can use for certain missions. If you work at the NSA and you need an exploit, you look through this catalog and then request to get one of these devices or pieces of software. When you look through it, it looks like the work of science fiction, but these are all real devices. Let me point out a few to you. The NSA has created a device, codenamed Cotton Mouse. It looks like a typical USB plug, one you'd see on a mouse or a keyboard. But it's actually capturing all the data going through it and wirelessly transmitting that data. It listens for mouse clicks, keyboard strokes, or any other data going through it. Now, the receiver has to be close by, I don't know, 20 feet maybe, and with a strong antenna and nothing in the way, it could probably transmit much further. So someone can be listening maybe in the room next door to everything that your USB connector is seeing. This is some next level technology that the NSA developed in 2008, which still isn't even available commercially today. And the ANT catalog even lists a price for this, $20,000 per USB implant. Jeez, that's a lot. The NSA ANT catalog has loads of other hacks and implants. There's Dropout Jeep, which is a piece of software that if you can get it onto an iPhone, it'll give you all the text messages, contacts, voicemail, it'll hot mic or open the video camera and get a geolocation of that phone. And there's Firewalk, which is a pretty amazing network sniffer. And there's JetPlow, which is a firmware that gives the NSA backdoor access to a Cisco firewall. And then there's Deity Bounce, which is an implant that goes onto a Dell server, which can get them backdoor access to that. But one of my favorites is called Rage Master. This is a little device that taps into any VGA port. This is the connector that goes from your computer to your monitor. And with this, it can wirelessly transmit everything that VGA connector sees, essentially cloning that monitor to be seen by someone else at a distance. So let's imagine how these hacks might take place. The NSA might intercept a Cisco firewall being delivered somewhere and they'll open the box carefully, put their firmware on it, and then seal the box back up. And this will give them permanent backdoor access into that firewall whenever they want. Or if they know their target is going to stay at a hotel, they can get a room next door to their target, break into their target's room, install Cottonmouth or Rage Master, and then listen in the other room for the wireless signal to see everything that person was typing and seeing. Even if that person wasn't connected to the wireless or any network at all, this is possible. And it's insanely impressive. And yes, 50 items in this catalog were leaked to the public in 2013, but we only saw descriptions of these devices. No actual devices were seen. Now, upon closer inspection, we see that these items were intended to be used by TAO. Now, TAO stands for Tailored Access Operations, TAO. And it's a unit within NSA that has a primary objective to gather intelligence on computer systems. The people within TAO have access to the most sophisticated hacking tools ever created. 
They have the budget and ability to spend years on research and development to make insane tools and then use them whenever they need. Tau is NSA's elite hacking force, and they've actually changed their name to Computer Network Operations now, but for this story, I'm going to just keep calling them Tau. Now, when security companies research hacking campaigns, they can't tell for sure who did it. So they give hackers a unique code name. Fancy Bear is what's given to the Russian hackers. Charming Kitten is given to Iran, and so on. But security companies have investigated certain malware that's come from the NSA. And so a hacking name was given to the NSA. The name they were given is the Equation Group. And it's believed that whoever is doing work for the Equation Group is specifically Tau within the NSA. These are true stories from the dark side of the internet. I'm Jack Resider. This is Darknet Diaries. Support for this show comes from Veronis. Guess how many files the average employee can access on their first day of work? 17 million and most of them they never use. Those files are what these ransomware gangs steal and hold hostage because companies will pay to get that back. That's why ransomware is such a threat. The blast radius is huge, 17 million files? There's so much valuable data that's easy to get and they can make money from. Do you wonder what your company's ransomware blast radius is? Veronis does a free cyber resilience assessment and tells you how many important files a compromised user could steal and whether anything would beep if they did, and a whole lot more. They actually do all the work, show you where the data is open to, if anyone is using it, and what you can do to lock it down before attackers get inside. They also can detect behavior that looks like ransomware and stop it automatically. You can even get a break on your cyber insurance. If you want to learn more, visit varonis.com dark. That's spelled V-A-R. O-N-I-S, veronis.com slash dark. This episode is brought to you by the Jordan Harbinger podcast. Here's a clip from one of his episodes. You're about to hear a preview of the Jordan Harbinger show, where I speak with the infamous Firefest's Billy McFarland from inside federal prison, where he's serving six years for fraud and on the hook for $26 million in restitution. This call is from William McFarland. An inmate at a federal prison. Is this the new Billy that we're hearing, or are you the same Billy that tried to pull off the fire Festival? When I think about the mistakes that were made and what happened, there's no way I can just describe it other than what the fuck was I thinking. I was wrong, and I hope now that I can in some small way make a positive impact. Once you knew that the festival wasn't going to go as planned, why didn't you call it off? So a lot of people don't know, but the decision to cancel the festival was made when I was told that three people had died at the event. Thankfully, no one was actually physically hurt in any way, but up until the last second, I believed incorrectly we could pull it off, and obviously I was wrong. We had something called the Urgent Daily Payments Document. Essentially, it was a list of payments that we had to make that day, or else the festival couldn't proceed. In the couple of months leading up to the event, it went from a couple thousand dollars a day to a few million dollars a day, where had to wake up at nine in the morning, find $3 million by noon, and then make the payments by four. You had a big vision, I mean, it was huge. And you got so close to something great that everyone wanted to be a part of, and people still want to be a part of it. I have to wonder if there's gonna be 
a Firefest version too. I assume you wouldn't call it that, but are you thinking of doing something similar? If there's anything that makes you want to create and build and do, it's being locked in a cage for months or years. Are you good to come? For more with Billy McFarland, including lessons learned on the inside and his plans once he's served the time he agrees he rightly deserves, check out episode 422 of The Jordan Harbinger Show. Okay, today we're talking with someone who I really wanted to talk to for a long time. Someone who knows a lot about security and has been doing this for decades. And when you're battling hackers for that long, you surely have some interesting stories. My name is uh, Jake Williams. I'm the uh, founder of uh, Rendition InfoSec. Um, and uh, I, I think right now I'm an InfoSec uh, dumpster fire putter outer, uh, basically. Basically all over the board when it comes to InfoSec, incident response, red team, SOC, whatever. What does Rendition Security do? Uh, well, we do. Uh, we run a managed security operations center, so managed SOC or VSOC, as some people call it. Um, and uh, we do it 24 by 7 here in the U.S. It's actually managed out of Augusta, Georgia. Um, and then separately, uh, worldwide, we do uh, red team and uh, incident response. Um, we have folks uh, actually in several countries and, uh, um, you know, do a lot of international work as, as well as domestic work as well. Um, and, uh, yeah, so basically red team uh, incident response uh, is a big piece for us, digital forensics. Um, some security architecture work, um, and then, of course, the uh, the VSOC. And for you Twitter folks out there, this is Malware Jake on Twitter. And I say that because he has 50,000 followers on Twitter, and he's pretty well known. Besides being the founder of Rendition Security, he also teaches SANS courses. These are information security courses, and specifically, he teaches courses on threat intelligence, forensics, penetration testing, and even threat detection. SANS courses are usually fantastic and extremely informative and have some of the best teachers. For this story, we're going to go back to August 2016. Jake was working for Rendition Security then, and his client had a specific security issue that was so big they needed Jake to go on-site to help. This was an incident response. The client was hit with something serious. So Jake and his team went to the client location and took over a conference room to begin doing triage. We already had a, a war room per se right there for the, uh, for the incident response. So Jake had been at this client site for a few days now trying to help resolve this security incident. Now back at the home office of Rendition Security, they have a full-on SOC, a security operations center. So while a few people were on site helping the client, there were many more people back in the office helping out too. A SOC is usually quite a sight to see. They have lots of technicians or analysts sitting in desks with three or four monitors each, analyzing alerts. But on the wall in the front of the SOC will be all kinds of big screen monitors, world maps, attack maps, rosters, news feeds. And on one of the monitors in this SOC was a Twitter feed. Now in the early morning of August 13th, 2016, one of the people in the SOC saw something on that Twitter feed and they knew they needed to tell Jake. Maybe 6.30 or 7 in the morning, something like that. Um, and, and I remember we were just rolling out, if I remember correctly, I think to Sonic for, for breakfast, right? And grabbing some of those, uh, those, those breakfast burritos they have. The tweet that Jake read was posted by someone with the name Shadow Brokers with two S's at the end. The tweet said, quote, We follow Equation Group traffic. We find Equation Group source range. We hack Equation Group. We find many Equation Group cyber weapons. You see picture. We give you some Equation Group files free. You see. This is good proof. No. You enjoy. You break many things. You find many intrusions. You write many bad words. But not all. We are auction the best files. End quote. That is hard to understand. Sounds like whoever wrote that. English was not their first language. 
but it basically said this group, Shadow Brokers, have stolen some cyber weapons from the NSA, specifically Tau within the NSA, which is what Equation Group is, and that they're giving away one of these exploits for free to everyone now and auctioning the rest off. So the rendition SOC saw this, thought it was important. We got alerted from, from one of them and said, hey, how are, are you seeing this? And, and up to that point, the answer was, no, we haven't seen this. And, and so then we're popping up on Twitter and, and going out to GitHub and saying, okay, you know, hey, it's, it first was the download the stuff from GitHub and then it was a, oh snap, this is real, right? Um, this isn't a hoax, this, this is real stuff. So even though Jake is the president of Rendition Security, and even though he was on a client site at the time, he felt this was so important that he took time out of his day to download these files and to look at this malware that the Shadow Brokers had released. The malware was a specific exploit for Cisco and Fortinet firewalls, and this malware would allow the attacker to send an exploit to a fully patched firewall and allow the hacker to take full control of that firewall. Uh, well, I downloaded some files that we'll say, um, uh, for, for, sake of, uh, for sake of argument, um, look legit. Right, so. Hmm, Jake says it looks legit. Let's consider what that means for a moment. Someone calling themselves Shadow Brokers has claimed that they got one of Tao's secret exploits and publicly dumped it for the world to see. An exploit that Cisco and Fortinet did not know existed. And this exploit does in fact work on a fully updated firewall, meaning it was previously unknown to the world. And now Jake is saying it looks legit yeah i mean i i think that's as i think that's as far as i can go directly without confirming or denying we'll say um looks look like legitimate threats hmm i feel like jake might know something more about this than he's leading on i mean what president of a security company is going to take time out to download a potential nsa exploit test it and then come out and say it looks legit and after this he went into the client office to continue doing work for them uh, actually was a, a Cisco customer who had a lot of legacy Cisco equipment. Um, and uh, having some of that legacy Cisco equipment um, with the, uh, uh, basically, uh, we'll just say it was uh, equipment that was itself um, vulnerable in some of the configurations. Some of the stuff they had actually was vulnerable to some of the stuff that was released, right? which is obviously not a, a best case kind of scenario there. Um, so, so yeah, so definitely was was doing some some digging into, um, you know, what's in uh, the dump and and what kind of exposure does that leave, you know, not just them that we're on site with, but but obviously other clients as well. Both Cisco and Fortinet confirmed this was a vulnerability they were not aware of and issued a patch right away, but this barely fixed the issue. The issue now is who are these shadow brokers? How many exploits do they have? How did they get these? Not to mention, they're selling even more of these to the highest bidder. They even went on to say if they can get 1 million Bitcoin, they'll dump everything to the public for everyone to see. But the immediate problem is realizing that this top secret exploit is now in the enemy's hands. Well, everybody's hands, right? I guess is the, uh, you know, at the time, bear in mind, right, it's, it's, it's one zip file. Um, and it is a... Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's one zip file, right? And there's no evidence at this point that they have anything else uh, specifically. I know they claim to, right? But um, in, in their initial post, you know, that's all gibberish anyway. Um, and, you know, so I'm kind of looking at it going like, it's, it's one file, right? Um, and, and, that, and, you know, without getting to specifics, let's just say that um, it is the kind of thing that I could see somebody having 
without having everything else. Right? Like there are plausible scenarios in which one could have that specific thing and not have not have everything else that they dump later. Okay. And yeah. did you think um did you have a guess at who might be shadow brokers at that point? Uh I I think at that point it was a little too early for me to really develop a uh you know much of a theory beyond the you know beyond the wow um you know this is this is it, it was it was quite a dump so i think at the time we did quite a uh, or we did a lot of internal kind of discussion analysis um you know at rendition uh we did quite a bit of, of that and i i think for us uh we were kind of split between either this is legit they're dumping this to show that they have you know legit other stuff to sell right because remember that was part of the offer right was that they would release the keys to decrypt these other awesome, you know, as of yet unknown, uh, even what the, you know, quantity and quality, um, these other zero days, right? We're going to release all this stuff. Uh, you know, this is the preview, right? Or the teaser as it were, right? To get people's appetites wet. Um, so, so that was, you know, I think about half of us, uh, at the group, um, you know, kind of looked and said, yeah, that's probably what it is. Um, and, and there was another group that was, you know, another contingent that was like, yeah, no, um, this has nothing to do with money absolutely nothing to do with money that this is full-on regardless of what else they have this is full-on an information operation right um and i think i kind of flip-flopped between the two i gravitated to information operation but but uh you know I, I could see the other argument being being legit as well that some insider perhaps had walked out um with stuff and and was you know motivated by money the news was now spreading all over the internet that the shadow brokers had leaked nsa hacking tools the Guardian was posting about it, Ars Technica, Engadget, The Atlantic, Wired, even The New York Times. This was a really big deal. It had the attention of the world. So how much did the auction get to? Well, in the first 24 hours after the dump, the auction only received $937, which I think was quite a disappointment for the shadow brokers. People everywhere were trying to guess how they got these exploits. Did someone hack the NSA? Maybe the NSA hacked them but then left their hacker tools behind. Because if the NSA is going to hack something, they need to put their exploit there first and then execute it. So maybe they just left their exploits behind. Or maybe someone from the NSA grabbed this stuff and walked out with it. Nobody knew for sure, but these shadow brokers had captured the attention of the world. Two months later, Joe Biden was on NBC's Meet the Press. The two were talking about Russia possibly hacking the elections, and they had this to say. I talked with ambassador, former Russian ambassador Mike McFaul. Yeah. And I, we talked about the idea that every once you, 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 you got to respond when, you, when they're hacking. You got to do something. Uh, he described it as a high, hard one. Maybe just, you know, sort of like in baseball, you throw a high, hard one to send a message. Why haven't we sent a message yet to Putin? We're sending a message. We have the capacity to do it. And uh, the message he'll know, said, it? he'll know it. And it'll be at the time of our choosing and under the circumstances that have the greatest impact. Uh, look, um, at, at the, so a message is going to be sent. Will the public know it? I hope not. Mr. Vice President, I'll leave it there. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Two weeks after that, shadow brokers published their second dump. First, they say this right away, quote, Why is Dirty Grandpa threatening CIA cyber war with Russia? End quote. Now, I believe they're calling Biden Dirty Grandpa here because of what he said just a few weeks earlier. 
which is a really, really weird thing to say, but okay. The contents of this second dump was just a big list of IP addresses, and the shadow brokers claimed that this was a list of servers in the world that the NSA had infected or was using as a server to launch exploits from. This wasn't quite that big of a dump. The message was more like telling the NSA that the shadow brokers weren't going away, and this is a reminder that they're still a threat. I, I think the second dump was really interesting because, uh, you know, it. So the second dump, given all the IP addresses that were there, um, became a, a really interesting data set for uh, for researchers who had a lot of NetFlow data. And uh, we, we did indeed, um, you know, and I think just like anybody else, right, um, went back through NetFlow data for our, for our clients um, and, and said, okay, do we see IP addresses uh, from this list connecting to any client anything, right? Because obviously if they are, that could be an indicator of compromise. It's definitely an indicator of concern. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, other than analyzing what they wrote, uh, you know, the shadow brokers themselves uh, wrote and posted. I think they were doing Steemit still at the time. Yeah, Steemit. Um, and uh, basically, beyond looking at what they wrote, uh, it wasn't really a... Uh, that, that next drop wasn't earth shattering. There was nothing really in there besides the IP addresses. But it was more actionable than the first one, to be honest, right, for the majority of InfoSec professionals. The reason why this was actionable for some InfoSec professionals is because we got a list of IP addresses that the NSA is possibly hacking from. And if you can cross-reference that with the IP addresses that are coming into your network, like hits to your website, logins to your VPN, that kind of thing, you might be able to notice if the NSA was hacking you, or at least in theory, that's what you could possibly check for. Stay with us, because after the break, the world is about to change. Support for this episode comes from Oracle for Startups. I think I have to buy a new phone this week. This one I have is running out of space, and it's just too slow for my modern usage. But I wonder if startup companies have this same problem, where they start out with some cool new technology to run their business, but over time it starts to slow down, and their underlying architecture just can't handle big customers, large spikes, or the growth that they hope to have. How does a startup find technology that can grow with them? Well, Oracle has this startup partnership. It's cleverly called Oracle for Startups. The idea is even though you're a startup, you can tap into the cloud computing power, expertise, and connections of a big dog like Oracle. You get free cloud credits and 70% off their cloud services. Plus, with multi-cloud support and no vendor lock-in, you build this any way you want. Now you aren't frustrated and you've got the power to scale and you're free to go after your dream customers. Don't stay stuck. Go check out oracle.com slash go to slash darknet. Now, something huge happened in the world just after this second dump. The U.S. had a presidential election and Donald Trump took the election. There was a lot of rhetoric at the time that the Russians meddled with the election. And just as people were starting to talk about that, in January of 2017, the shadow brokers made another post. And this one saying goodbye. The Post said that they did not get the Bitcoin they were hoping for, so they're just going to release more hacking tools for free for anyone. And they posted 61 Windows executables, link libraries, and drivers, claiming each one was developed by the Equation Group, Tau, within the NSA, and can be used to hack Windows computers. Again, these did check out, and they were new exploits not previously seen, and they looked legit again, as in they were probably created by the Tau in NSA. 
The shadow brokers then signed off, saying goodbye, claiming they're going to go dark because they didn't get enough bitcoins. 67 or something files, the actual files themselves also get sent out. Um, and, and and that was a, a pretty that was a, a pretty big uh, pretty big deal for, for us, right? Because in, in their directory listing, it says, you know, something like event log edit or edit event log something, and there's multiple references to it. Um, and, you know, in the InfoSec community, in the, particularly in the forensics, their deeper community, um, a lot of folks take those event logs to be, uh, you know, sacred, right? Um, you know, there are whole textbooks written um, about how you can uh, basically clear an event log, but you can't surgically edit one. Now, now, those of us in instant response have known that's been not true for for some period of time, um, but we don't have, uh, you know, most of us uh, don't have uh, publicly available uh, tools that we can point to and say, no, no, look, here's the capability. The capability definitely exists. Here's where it's at, right? Again, a- anybody who's in this business knows that it's a capability. We even know who had it up to that point, but, but suddenly overnight, everybody had it. Right? And, and it changed the game on, on incident response. And, and having seen that, we wanted to go ahead and, and you know, basically that was one of the first um, major posts that I wrote about it was to say, hey, look, you know, this, is a, this is a game changer for incident response. It's a game changer for a lot of stuff, but, but specifically for IR, this is a full-on game changer. Pay attention. Mm, yeah, the exploit they dumped means a hacker can edit an event log in Windows. And this was previously not a capability. Well, not a capability except for the Tau unit within the NSA, but now the whole world has this capability. This could have a big impact. And so Jake continued to analyze what the shadow brokers were dumping. And yeah, he was blogging about it, talking about what he thinks of this and what the important takeaways are from these dumps. But this wasn't the last we heard from shadow brokers. About three months later, in the first week of April, they showed back up. They made another post, dumping more stolen hacking tools. And in this post, they even had a message for the president. Quote, The shadow brokers voted for you. The shadow brokers supports you. The shadow brokers is losing faith in you, Mr. Trump. It's appearing you are abandoning your base, the movement, and the peoples who getting you elected. End quote. Hmm. Does this mean the shadow brokers are part of the far right? Or is this some kind of smokescreen? Well, again, Jake saw this dump, analyzed it, made sense of it, and then made a blog post about it. I said, look, if, if you track the dumps and you track some of the rhetoric, right, um, the timing of the dumps is is very convenient around, uh, basically conveniently aligned around uh, times that Russia is being called out in the press for hacking. And, and literally what they're doing is, uh, you know, I hypothesized and I said, you know, basically, while I can't say for sure that you know, the timing is, is coincidental or, or, or circumstantial, whatever. Um, we can say that the uh, shadow brokers dumps, um, the timing of these definitely lines up with times that Russian hacking is in the news. And, uh, you know, in, in the tech space, which is largely where that's being covered, um, them dumping these or, you know, creating these dumps is completely taking, uh, you know, the focus away from Russian hacking and, and putting it on oh my gosh, NSA lost tools, uh, allegedly, right? Um, and, you know, checkbox, right? So It's always weird when hacking stories get political for me, because I don't think us security people even consciously realize when it does get political. We just see some shadowy group of people dumping hacking tools, which is real impact on the networks we're trying to secure. But if you lean into the story, you start seeing things like Biden and Russia and elections and Donald Trump. 
Well, these were some of the observations that Jake saw, and he was starting to post this to his blog. Now keep in mind, Jake here is known as MalwareJake on Twitter, where he has 50,000 followers. When he posts a blog post, it gets considerable eyes on it. And this particular blog post got retweeted and started spreading. Uh, well, more, yeah, not, not just retweeted, but like that actually took the content and said, and basically wrote stories around the content, right? Saying, oh, Jake, you know, Jake Williams, the rendition says, you know, that he believes this is, you know, uh, if not a Russian operation in the interests of Russia, right? Kind of thing. And so folks wrote stories about the analysis kind of deal. It's kind of exciting to have a blog post of yours gain some traction like that. It feels good that you have something helpful to say about the conversation and people appreciate your thoughts. But then, the next day... Gosh, I was uh, I was in Orlando teaching a SANS event. I was actually sick at the time, too, on top of Like, was running an actual fever on top of everything else. <laughs> but uh, but I was actually teaching exploit development at the time, advanced exploit dev um, at, at, in Orlando. Um, and so I wake up, uh, you know, phone alarm goes off, whatever. I wake up and I check Twitter notifications. And, uh, you know, like at the time, I, I saw all my notifications going to the phone, what have you. Um, and I just do like a little drag down. It's like 99 plus, right? 99 is where it stops counting, right? <laughs> it's like 99 plus notifications. And I'm like, oh, either something really good has, you know, like a blog post has gone viral or something, you know, I'm like, I, my first thought is like, I tweeted something that, that, that really pissed a bunch of people off. And, you know, I've got some like, whatever it is, you know, the, the, the gang up kind of thing going or, or some, you know, dog piling or something. Um, and uh, then I, I, my, my, Blood ran cold when I saw what had actually happened. Shadow brokers, the secret hackers who had the attention of the entire InfoSec community and so many more people, had tweeted directly at Jake. The tweet said, quote, at Malware Jake, you having a big mouth for former Equation Group member. Shadow Brokers is not in habit of outing Equation Group members, but had to make exception for big mouth, end quote. The English was rubbish, but the message was clear. Whoever these shadow brokers were had just stated publicly for everyone in the world to know that Jake was a former member of NSA's Tau, aka the Equation Group. Yes. Yep. And the thing is, it's true. Jake had spent almost two decades working in the information community for the government and about five years in Tau. But Jake had kept this a secret, almost just to himself, even though he was a public figure with tons of Twitter followers, a speaker at events, a SANS instructor, nobody outside his close friends and family and ex-co-workers knew he was a former member of Tao. No, I certainly wasn't, you know, wasn't like tweeting that, uh, now I mean, I had a hole in my, you know, obviously if you go to my LinkedIn, you can see I work for the DOD, right? Um, there, there's no no question there, but I mean, you know, in, in our space, there's a lot of people in InfoSec that work at some time for the DOD, right? And I was former army and and so I, I felt like that was all, you know, yeah, again, it was it was DOD, right? Um, but but yeah, to, to get in and say NSA, um, and, and really on top of that to say um, NSA hacker, right? Um, is, is a whole different level of, uh, yeah, that, I guess, right? It wasn't something that I really was planning to uh, start talking about out there, but whatever they, you know, yeah. Um, What's your initial reaction when you saw that? Well, I'll be honest and say, like, it was unprecedented, right? Um, and I didn't really have a, uh, I didn't have a good feel for how the government was going to handle this, right? And a lot of people have chatted about this in the, you know, with, with some other folks, right? And said, you know, over the last couple of years, and I said, you know, what I didn't know at the time, the thing that most concerned me was, 
I, it was it was the complete lack of predictability for what the U.S. government was going to do, right? Like I didn't know if the FBI was going to sweep in and be like, "Holy goodness, you know, this is Russia. You got to be, you know." I, I just don't know, right? Um, th- there is even at that time a, a thought uh, that it's uh, that it's Russia, um, and you know, in, in the community, there are definitely uh, you mentioned before some of the Trump rhetoric, and I I didn't know if you know it wasn't just what was the U.S. government going to do, but how were, like, ordinary people going to react to this? And the, it just was, it was a very challenging time because of that, I think, more than anything else. It was just the unpredictability and, you know, just unprecedented. Like, that must have ruined your whole day. Oh, I, like I said, I was already sick. Well, I'll be honest and tell you that uh, I, I can't picture a better place to have to deal with that than teaching a SANS class. And it was... Uh, it's what we call boot camp class that runs from nine in the morning till seven p.m. Um, and I feel like that night, uh, I know we had some other event that I was staffing there, so I I literally worked from like nine to nine, um, despite being sick. And, and I, I cannot fathom a better way to have dealt with that. Why? It was it was forced distraction. So it wasn't like I I, I didn't have time to mull over it as much as just go do your thing, mm. right? And so I, I think that was helpful to me. Yeah, so I was just wondering, like, kind of overall message. Do you think they're guessing at who you were, or no, not a bit. I I can say with um I can say with confidence, um that uh with high confidence, um that they one hundred percent were not guessing at who I was. I say that with high confidence. Um, I can't get into the why, but I I will say for sure, um, they were not guessing at who I was. Um, they they had that they had that dead to rights. They they knew it wasn't a guess. Um, and, uh, based on some other stuff that they've written, um, I'm, I'm, I'm fairly certain they had that. Yeah. I, but what the message was is, is, is another thing entirely, right? Uh, you know, it could be, um, and I put a lot of thought into this, right? It, it, the, the message could be, um, purely that they didn't like what I was writing, um, and wanted me to shut up, um, and wanted that blog post down and my business partner at the time, um, reacted exactly that way and took the blog post down, um, and, uh, you know, even even with links to it, right? They he basically rewrote it as a you know one paragraph, nothing, you know, no no real content to it, no real meat to it. Um, just there wasn't a four hundred four on the website. But I mean, he took that down, and that was if they were trying to accomplish that goal, that they did. That um, they they definitely did. So, um, I, I could have also been you know that if somebody else was out there, uh, you know, that hadn't yet been identified, uh, that you know they were trying to say like you know hey. If, if you do what this guy does, we're going to out you too. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I would expect that if anybody else were thinking about commenting on, you know, former NSA folks were, were thinking about commenting on the shadow brokers, um, that would have, I would expect, I would expect that would be a deterrent as well. Um, but, but again, as far as their motivation, it's, it's really hard to, hard to nail down. What a weird and surreal thing to happen to Jake to be outed publicly by this mysterious hacker crew. It's like he was doxxed by them. And the tweet didn't just stop there. It went on to say how the shadow brokers know about some top secret weird missions, and I'm gonna assume classified things that Jake was involved in while at Tau. The shadow brokers tweets started, or their messages were saying things like, um, Connecting you to things like Odd Job, CCI, Windows Bits, Persistence, and the Q Group. Mm-hmm. Does that? Do you have any comment about that? I uh, there's no safe comment that I can make on on any of that. 
A few days after that, the Shadow Brokers released yet another set of stolen exploits. And this one would make a huge splash in the world. This dump contained eternal blue and eternal romance, among others. Now, what's so important about Eternal Blue is that this is an exploit that can be used to remotely access Windows computers running SMB, which was something that was installed by default on all Windows machines, making millions and millions and millions of Windows computers vulnerable to this exploit. Eternal Blue was huge. This was the biggest of all their exploits, and it just landed in the hands of the general public for any hacker in the world to use. Eternal Blue might go down as one of the most successful hacking tools in history. It's really effective for letting hackers into Windows machines. But here's the strange thing. Just about a month before Shadow Brokers dropped this on the world, Microsoft had patched it. Yeah, they fixed it right before it was unleashed. The rumor has it that the NSA gave Microsoft a very quiet heads up that this might be in an upcoming dump so they can work on patching it before it hits the streets. Now, of course, this too was a really big deal for Jake. He knew that Eternal Blue could have far-reaching effects on many of his customers, but he was still coming to grips with the earlier tweet that called him out. That single tweet, which outed Jake as an Equation Group member, really changed his life. Uh, definitely changed my threat modeling. Um, no, no question about that. Um, you know, I... Uh... I, look at the time, you know, and again, hind, in hindsight, a lot of people, I, I think, will will say overreact, whatever. Um, but uh, you know, that I might have been overreacting. But man, at the time, again, we we just didn't know. Um, we didn't know what, you know, not just what they were going to do, but what anybody was going to do in in response. Um, you know, our own government included, uh, private citizens who were pro-Trump, anti-Trump. They had taken a Trump stance, whatever that broken English, you know, language thing was, right? Um, and, and so we just didn't know. And, and so I guess the short of it is, you know, from, from immediate concerns, I mean, I had to call my ex and say, hey, um, you know, like, here's the situation. My ex, by the way, never having served, right, um, doesn't really track with all this. And I'm having to, like, give her this crash course. And so we think this is Russia. Here's the crash course in Russian intelligence services. Um, we don't think we have to worry about them. But who knows, right? Um, I'm more worried about, you know, people believing that it's Russia and believing that we're somehow colluding with them. And, and the short of it is, do you want me to see my kid, right, kind of thing, or I'll totally understand if you say no kind of deal, right? And, and so for, you know, several weeks, that, that's the way we played it, right, was that me and my kid were on hangouts like you and I are now um, and, and not seeing each other in person, right? Because, again, we, we just didn't have a good handle on, you know, how or if or, you know, whatever people were going to react to this. So, so yeah, as far as changed my life, I mean, immediately, right, there were some immediate impacts, um, you know, that uh, that sucked, you know, so, yeah. Now, you've probably heard of the FBI's most wanted list, but did you know there's also an FBI's cyber's most wanted list too? Criminal hackers that the FBI is looking for. When the FBI has enough evidence that a hacker has committed a crime, they will indict the hacker, and if it's severe enough, they'll stick them on this list. Sometimes the FBI indicts nation-state hackers too. Like, for instance, the cyber's most wanted has 11 hackers who work for the Russian government and they were involved in interfering with the 2016 elections. There's also four Iranian hackers indicted for conducting espionage against the U.S. If any of these hackers on the Cyber's Most Wanted list were to travel to the U.S. or even a country that has an extradition treaty with the U.S., they will probably be arrested and brought to court. But so far, no hackers have been indicted for whoever was behind these shadow brokers' dumps. Was there any travel that you canceled? Uh, definitely. Yeah, no, no question. Um, I, 
they, they, they poked back up in July, I think. It was either late June or early July, and I, I canceled a trip to Singapore. Hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, one of, one of the issues uh, that came down was, and, and a lot of people forget about this in the dumps, but, um, you know, in the uh, April dump where they dumped Eternal Blue, um, they also dumped operational data um, involving Swift banks and some other stuff. Uh, there was our Swift transfers with, you know, some banks. And, and uh, you know, that, that said, to me at least, right, um, you know, without confirming the data is authentic, um, said to me that it's not just tooling they have, they have operations data. This means the shadow brokers are claiming to have seen some of the stuff the NSA has actually done. Right. And, and at that point, if you are watching the news and you're watching the U.S. Department of Justice uh, indict foreign hackers, um, you, you then have to kind of step back. And and uh, and I definitely did this. I, I did a mental inventory of where did I target? Right. And then even then doing risk modeling of does it even matter where I targeted? Right. Does, does it really matter where I targeted specifically? Or, you know, is it just because I was involved with that group that targeted X country? Right. Um, you know, basically, like, could I be basically if I land, if I touch down here, am I likely to be arrested? Right. And it's not just the question of like, what did they share? Right. But I'm um, sorry, what did they share publicly? It's also like we don't know what they're sharing on the back end. And, you know, if this is Russian intelligence or, you know, even if it's not whatever, but what are they, whoever they are sharing on the backside that we don't know about. So, so that also was, was a huge unknown. And, and that's something I continue to play, you know, mentally today, right. Kind of mentally play through because it's, you know, we saw uh, Canada arrested the Huawei executive on, on our behalf, right. Um, you know, an airport for goodness sakes, right. She never even cleared customs. And um, that's, you know, every time I travel internationally, um, I, I'm playing those, you know, that whole risk modeling, not just of, you know, was I involved with this country, but, but you know, for the countries that I was involved with, with targeting, right, um, did I uh, basically I'm on an extradition list someplace, you know, or do they, do they have an extradition policy with, with that other country, right? So, yeah, I, I canceled travel to Singapore. Um, I, I've had some other opportunities that I passed on entirely because I just, I, I just don't feel safe, you know, traveling to a number of countries as a result. Yeah, it almost feels like you're at their mercy at this point. Well, there, there's no question. I mean, I, I guess if, if you want to play, I'm, I'm going to try not to play the victim here because, you know, whatever, I, I made uh, employment decisions that, you know, they were employment decisions. That's why, that's why you know, I mean, those those same decisions are why I'm, you know, where I'm at today. But, but yeah, I mean, I, I they, they have, there's no question in my mind that they have um, a, a lot of operational data about me. And it's stuff that could definitely paint it in the wrong light. Um, and, and, you know, it would paint it in the wrong light would be very bad um, and uh, would uh, for me personally. Uh, and, and I, yeah, I, I am definitely at their mercy um, for what it is that they choose to release or not release. I've said repeatedly that uh, and I, I stand I stand by this um, so far. You know, we haven't seen any U.S. hackers indicted, um, nation state hackers indicted. But but I, I I am not a betting man, but I would not have bet, I would not bet against me being the first one. Or on the first list. I just, I can't fathom that I won't be involved somehow. And I hope I'm not. It's not something I'm wishing for or asking for. But, but again, just playing the odds, right? When somebody else finally, when another country finally pulls a DOJ, um, you know, and, and starts indicting, uh, you know, US nation state hackers, I, it will surprise me greatly if I'm not on that list. Jeez, that, I don't even know what to say about that. This is life in the shadow of the shadow brokers. 
it also makes me think about him as a SANS instructor. Like I've taken a SANS course and I, it would just blow my mind if I knew my teacher was wanted in several countries for hacking on behalf of the NSA. Like, is he a criminal or not? Some countries probably think he is, but back home, he's just carrying out his orders. And now when I think about it, I think it's actually weird that the FBI indicts the hackers who were working for foreign governments. The hackers were just carrying out their orders. Why not indict the officers or generals or the leader who signed the executive order? And at that point, you might as well treat it like an act of hostility from one nation to another. I don't know. It gets weird and sticky on who to blame for hacking when it comes to nations hacking nations. It's kind of like when Apple is suing Google for 20 things and Google is suing Apple for 20 things. Yeah, sure. Russians hacked the U.S., but the U.S. has probably hacked Russia, too. So now what? Ugh. Since 2017, we haven't heard anything more from the shadow brokers. Their last tweet mentioned Jake once again, but it wasn't really saying anything new. And since then, it's been quiet. While we normally saw them come back every few months, they've now been quiet for over two years. But I don't think that's the end of shadow brokers. I still think there's a huge investigation, a hunt into who's behind it. It quite possibly could have been an insider, a double agent. Someone who works in the NSA and had access to this stuff, but was feeding it to another country like Russia. And yeah, at this point, most signs do point to Russia being behind the shadow brokers, but we don't know for certain. But if you think about the intent and capabilities of this group, their intent is to do battle with the most sophisticated hacking group in the world, the NSA, and then burn some of their expensive exploits. And their capabilities are that they can somehow get these exploits out of the NSA, probably one of the most secure places in the world, and then publish them and then get away with it. When you think about all the intelligence capabilities the NSA has, and they don't have anything on this crew, this puts shadow brokers in a top tier category for what their capabilities are. And then you look at how much they say about Trump and the ability to shift the news cycles when it comes to Russia. Yeah, it just looks like it's probably Russian. But like I was saying, there haven't been any FBI indictments about this or public statements from the U.S. government about this either, and especially nothing from the president. He typically doesn't call out Russia for stuff like this. But even if he did blame Russia for this, what would that sound like? I mean, it would admit that the NSA somehow lost control of their secret hacking tools, and that might make the U.S. look bad. So it's a complicated issue. Oh, and I should also mention Harold Martin III somewhere in here, too. There's this theory that Harold is somehow behind this. Harold was a government contractor working for Booz Allen Hamilton, and while he was there, he was doing some work for the NSA and got access to some top-secret information within the NSA. Harold decided to steal 50 terabytes of information from NSA servers and successfully got it out. We don't know who Harold gave this 50 terabytes to or if he gave it to anyone. We don't even know what's in the data. But he was caught and is currently serving nine years in prison for this. The data on the shadow broker dumps could have been something that Harold stole. The timestamps do seem to line up with this, but there's no real good evidence that does connect Harold to this whole thing. All right, let's take a step back and try to understand what this whole shadow brokers thing means. While the NSA has neither confirmed or denied that they've made these tools, all signs point to these being actual exploits that the NSA has made and kept to themselves as weapons to attack the enemy with. But let's think about that. This means the NSA has a group of researchers who are actively looking for vulnerabilities in software, like Microsoft Windows. And then when they find these vulnerabilities, 
they don't tell Microsoft about it. They keep it to themselves. Now, the NSA has publicly said they don't hoard zero days or exploits that nobody knows about. But here's evidence that they do. Now, what does that mean? Well, it seems the NSA has decided it's more important to be on the offensive versus being on the defensive. If the NSA was defensive-minded, they would be working with software vendors to find vulnerabilities and get them fixed. But instead, we see this, where they secretly find vulnerabilities and not tell the software vendor about it, so that they can later use it on an attack against someone else. And perhaps this was the message that the shadow brokers was trying to relay, to place the NSA under extra heat for hoarding zero days like this. And that's certainly what happened. A lot of people use this as evidence that the NSA does not have it in their interest to keep us secure. But instead, they want to keep these exploits to themselves so they can be better at doing espionage and surveillance and hacking into other networks which I suppose could be considered defensive-minded if they're using that to find what an upcoming attack on our country is going to be. But that's just hard to believe when we see nation-states hacking into companies in the U.S. and creating huge, huge problems for those companies. And see, here's the perfect example of when that can backfire, when the exploits the NSA makes gets into the wrong hands. Or when someone exposes the capabilities of the NSA Snowden, the ANT catalog leak, and now the shadow brokers give us a very clear view into what the NSA is doing. And I think it's important that we all take full note of what we see here. Now, as someone who used to defend networks from threats, I want to take a moment and talk about what we as defenders should be doing about the shadow brokers. When the shadow brokers dumped all these NSA-grade hacking tools, we should be analyzing them and trying to understand them as best we can. And here's why. Let's take the Windows event log hack that was dumped as an example. This is a hack that can turn Windows logging off and then back on whenever you want. Or it can delete individual event logs from Windows. And here's the thing. Historically, it's been possible as an admin to turn logging off and on. Okay, fine. But when that happens, an event is created that says logging has been turned off. It's also possible to clear all event logs, but again, there's a log created that says that all the logs have been wiped. And that wipes all logs, not just one or two. But with this hack that was dumped, you can disable logging without an event indicating logging has been turned off. So you can turn it off, do your dirty work, then turn it back on, and there's no evidence that the logs have been tampered with which is really scary, but important to know. There's also a capability of removing individual events. So this is important for us defenders to know because Windows event logs are so important to us. They tell us the truth of what happened. So how do we handle this? Well, now you need to be looking for what's not there. For instance, event logs are numbered. So what if you saw event log 97, 98, no 99, and then 100? Well, what happened to event log 99? Or what happens when you see a logout event, but not a login? If you see stuff like this, you can assume you have a hacker who's using these shadow brokers hacks, but also isn't that savvy enough to know how Windows logging works. Because this hacker was smart enough to delete their login event, but not good enough to delete their logout event. And this is the kind of stuff that defenders and incident responders have to learn about from shadow brokers. But not only that, every sophisticated hacking team in the world paid serious attention to these dumps. I just told you about the logging one, but there's like 70 other exploits they dropped. 
and like government hacking teams have probably done a deep analysis on every single exploit in the dumps to learn everything they could about it, what it does, how to use it most effectively, and then throw it in their bag of tools to use it whenever they want. And this is why it's important for the InfoSec community to know this as well. I mean, if the NSA did create these hacker tools, they probably spent millions of dollars on research and development to make it. That was paid by my tax dollars. So seeing what their capabilities are and knowing it's in the hands of every hacker in the world, it's an extremely valuable lesson for anyone working in InfoSec. It's simply not every day that we get to look at tools this sophisticated. And now any script kitty in the world has them and is using them. And ever since these dumps, digital forensics and incident responder teams have been seeing a high amount of attacks that was using stuff from these dumps. And it still continues to this day. So it's very important for us defenders to understand this, especially for the exploit called Eternal Blue. Eternal Blue would go on to be a key component for some of the world's biggest hacks. Hacks that were so big, they practically caused doomsday scenarios for many people. So join me in the next episode as we dig into one of the hacks that used Eternal Blue. A big thank you to our guest, Jake Williams, for taking time to share this incredible story with us. You can follow him on Twitter. His name there is at MalwareJake. Good luck out there, Jake. I also want to give a big thanks to Andy Greenberg from Wired. He just finished writing a new book called Sandworm, which goes into detail about this whole Shadow Brokers thing and then goes into detail about what Eternal Blue went on to be used for. And we're going to interview Andy in the next episode. So if you want to check out his book, it's Sandworm. It's really good. Don't forget to help support this show through Patreon, where you can get some bonus episodes exclusive only to Patreon donators. And you can also get some stickers and an ad-free feed. Patreon supporters really do make a huge impact on keeping this show going, and they're absolutely my favorite listeners. This show is made by me, Grizzly Masquerade, Jack Recider. Sound design this episode is by the headphone-wearing Andrew Merriweather. Editing help this episode by the Cyber Maiden, Damien. And our theme music is by the jingling Breakmaster Cylinder. And even though webmasters around the world add my IP to their blacklist every time I say it, this is Darknet Diaries. <laughs> <laughs>